Welcome to the Wellbeing in Schools podcast, the place where we discuss well-being related issues and try to identify some top tips and pedagogical approaches to each topic. I'm Sam Miller, a secondary middle leader, and together with Nicola Crawley, who works for the Mental Health in Reach to Schools project, we'll be hosting this podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode six. Uh, the last time we recorded an episode was a couple of months ago now. So uh, apologies for the delay in getting episode six out to you. But as I'm sure you can appreciate, this being rather busy in between times. So the last time we did episode five was preparing to go back to schools. And we knew that schools were reopening and we were in the midst of trying to prepare to welcome students back. And we're considering some of the implications of that specifically as the flows of compassion and we discussed psychological safety and psychologically safe learning environments for staff and pupils and the benefits and drawbacks involved within that uh, which I think was really useful Uh, and hopefully anybody who listened to that found that useful as well. As Nicola and I discussed recently when we actually managed to catch up after obviously the initial getting back into things and, and settling. We discussed some of the episodes that we'd done previously, uh, and I actually was saying how helpful I'd found our discussion on psychological safety and the flows of compassion. And I really definitely feel that that had a major impact on on me personally and my professional practice in the first weeks back. And so we'll get into that a little bit more in this episode uh, and Nicola's going to share with us some more insights into uh, compassion and compassionate cultures which I'm really really interested to hear especially given our last conversation. Just before we get into that obviously there's been a little bit of a break uh, so we hope everybody listening is okay and well done for getting this far into term we're in just so everybody knows we're now uh, in the last week of the half term and very much looking forward to the half term week. Uh, the lockdown announcement was made uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, so we will probably at some point in another episode come back to some of the implications of, of a second lockdown. Uh, but at this point, uh, just welcome back. Thanks for coming back to check in on the, the podcast and listen again. Uh, we hope you found what you've heard so far useful and we'll continue to do so. Like I say, I hope everybody's okay. Hi, Nicola. Hi, Sam. Thank you for having me on again. That's uh, okay. Um, how have you been? Because that's, uh, you know, I'm sure anybody listening will know that it's been uh, an interesting time. Yeah, it yeah it's been a really unusual time hasn't it I think um the start of lockdown was was difficult Uh, we faced lots of changes we faced a lot of unknowns and then we felt a bit more comfortable as as lockdown continued and then that changed back into school again and 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 worries heightened and then we had the summer um and then it was and then it was full full throttle into September so yeah it's it's been tiring I think um I think what I've heard going around and talking to people that that actually you know we're really facing fatigue now and we're also facing you know quite quite low mood um you know quite isolating feelings um 
lots of people say that there's not much to look forward to or lots of things have been cancelled so yeah it's a it's a really really difficult time um it, but but we're still here sam we're still here yeah and absolutely and uh you know just to mention early on before we get into too much just self-care at this point yeah. you know i i'm really aware of my own self-care uh and potential lack thereof in the as you nailed it there with the fatigue and screeching dragging towards half term uh, yeah. but just a reminder we've discussed self-care before in the five ways of well-being but just to come back to that and just hold that you know we, we may not get into it this week but next week everybody's got the opportunity maybe to take breath and just come back to those five ways of well-being just yeah. make sure that they're they're at the forefront of our minds and looking after ourselves because as we've said before you know we can't look after other people if uh, we're not okay ourselves so yeah. which brings us to our conversation before as i mentioned on uh the flows of compassion and psychologically safe learning environments uh which for me was I, that conversation was just so powerful for me really taxing thinking and processing and and going through that conversation because there was so much within that conversation but the underlying principles in those weeks back in school the first especially the first month at least it was just guiding principles for me constantly coming back you know those moments of of real insecurity thinking what what's going on just think okay you know this is just totally unknown you've moved classroom moved office moved office again everything's different it's okay just take that time so yeah it was really really useful so I'm really interested to hear today about your work on developing the training that you're offering to schools on compassionate cultures I think that that will pick up on that and I'm really interested to hear what you've been working on. Thanks Sam it's it's been a real journey for me actually Um, and it started it started about 18 months ago I've been in post now um, since September 18, so, you know, just over two years. And we noticed um, very quickly that there wasn't mechanisms in place for education staff around supervision. Reflection was uh, very much an unknown. It was it was quite alien to many people now coming from health. Clinical supervision on a monthly basis for one hour is mandatory. It's classed as good practice. It's classed, if you don't have it, as poor practice um, and not safe practice. And we also regularly reflect. We reflect on um, sessions. We reflect on our teams in our teams we reflect on the service we that is a heightened skill we have so when we came into education that stuck out for me instantly there's not those mechanisms there so from that we were kind of searching for a a sustainable and prudent model to take forward in education so you know for somebody to offer everybody an hour a month of supervision just just wasn't sustainable you know but we certainly didn't have capacity to do that so we've been thinking about um okay what kind of model would tick a box we know group supervision goes on 
So we were invited with our psychology colleagues into um, something called compassion circles. Now, um, or, or taking care, giving care rounds. So a chap called Andy Bradley, he he has done TED Talks. You can find him. He's from the South. Andy Bradley has been doing a lot of compassion based work. He came to Gwent and trained myself and my colleague Caroline and the clinical psychology team and the um, Welsh Government clinical psychology consultant and adult services in Gwent. So adult psychological services. They He trained us in taking care, giving care rounds, which we then took into school, which I know we've had discussions about this, Sam. It's a circular, um, a circular process where a group of ideally 20 people sit around in a circle, think about their flows of compassion. What's getting in the way? How is it? Um, how can we make it better? What do I need to do now? And it's pairs work. It's coming to the group with um, a short sentence or a singular word to explain how we feel and then back into pair work. It was absolutely shocking to me, Sam, that health were driving this forward. I even spoke at a South um, East Wales conference about adaptations to this process. Health were taking it forward during COVID. We had um, clinical psychology colleagues in full PPE regalia going onto the wards, doing taking care, giving care rounds in between shifts. They were doing it for medics. We've got it almost, it's infiltrated almost every department in an Iron Bevan Health Board. Yet, when I took it into education, which is fascinating, the evaluations from that was it. It's kind of 50 50. It's Marmite. Um, there were people who out of 10 put it as a zero or a one and said it was awful and they never want to do it again. Wow. This is so, so interesting. Just to pick up here before you go any further, just because yeah. I'm aware that some people listening and lots and probably most people that I work with in education uh, aren't familiar with supervision. So, yeah. you know, just to clarify, supervision is just where you sit down with uh, somebody, uh, can be, and in supervision I have, it's with, you know, a, a clinical qualified supervisor, but absolutely doesn't need yeah. to be. Uh, and you discuss your caseload, you know, things, what's going on, how you feel you're responding to things. You just go through your professional practice and it literally is just an opportunity to out loud, talk through, reflect on your professional practice. Um, so that's what supervision is. There's nothing bigger or, or scarier than that. And interesting, the draft legislation for from Welsh Government on developing and embedding well-being that is still draft level does yeah. include references to supervision for yeah. staff, um, which is really encouraging. So, you know, within education, it, it's still very underused. You know, lots of people aren't familiar with it, yeah. but hopefully, you know, we'll get more familiar with it. And for anybody listening and thinking, you know, what does this mean for me? Or, you know, I 
I don't not sure how this actually affects me. It is something that Welsh government are looking to develop. Uh, and hopefully, you know, should impact all of us because you're absolutely right in health. And that's so crazy to hear, you know, during the pandemic in full PPE, it was still happening in health. You know, it's so yeah. ingrained and embedded in health just as part of professional practice. And if you don't have it, you know, like say it's and especially in a pandemic environment, it's significantly poor practice. This is especially when you need it most. Uh, and so it was happening yet. You know, in education, it is such a challenging context because it's just not something that's ever been really, you know, part of professional practice. So it's interesting to hear that. But you know, it is something the Welsh Government are looking to expand on. It is something we've talked about before on the podcast. And Kerry Jones and I have talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, very evangelical about it. There's no secret about that. Um but it's so interesting to hear now the models as well, because I, there, there's different models of supervision as well and different approaches. And this, in particular, the, yeah, yeah, that that's really good to clarify. Some, you're absolutely right. There's, there's, you can do a master's in supervision, um, in in univer in the University of South Wales, I believe, um, yes. or and all around the country that it's, um, it's a, it's it's a vast subject. Um, you're right. It's it's really interesting when you said about um, you know kind of talking about caseloads or or your actual work. It it's so clinical supervision. The model that I always request from my supervisor. It's not about case management. It's not about them going through your work and 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 appraising or or looking for areas for development. Absolutely not. It is that space to go. God, it's been a hard month, and you know this has happened. And it's about okay, how did that come about? How do you understand that? What are you going to do from here? How how has that been for you? Somebody to kind of really bounce off to empathise and and hear you and have that voice and help you kind of figure out what is the best way forward um and it's it's so relieving to have that and but there's multiple multiple models of that but the you're right to identify the purpose is not to think about um areas that i need to develop in it's a space where i can reflect and come up with my own solutions my own answers and it can be you know, isolating. Yeah. So isolating. So it's just a space to be able to sort of say some things out loud and talk it through and bounce ideas around and just, yeah, talk openly with somebody who will actively listen. It's really useful. But yeah, I'm so I, I'm not surprised that it was Marmite reaction um, in education. So where do you go from there? So that's that's what I I kind of you know reflected on what what is it when it's when taking care giving care model is doing so well and going from strength to strength not just in Gwent not just in Wales or the UK at the at the Southeast Wales conference we had um professionals from Florida 
we had a professional from Texas, we had somebody from Europe that were was presenting um, how they were using taking care, giving care in their health settings and how well it was doing. So I sat there and I thought, what what is it? What is it am I that I'm getting wrong? What is it that taking care, giving care just isn't meeting with our education colleagues? So I, I reflected and I I really thought about it some um, for many, many months. W- what am I missing? Why? Why doesn't it gel like I thought it would and how it is in other places of society and other organisations. So what I learned and what I reflected on is that in my training as a nurse or if you are a health professional, in our training, we look at things like dignity, communication, reflection. Uh, We have to look at you know, fundamental and core elements of relationships and interpersonal relationships. And so I think that really helps health colleagues to tune into a more of a psychological standing. I also knew that teaching as a vocation Um, invites certain personalities. So, you know, um, lots of people who go into health want to save. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Sam. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, the police force often attracts a certain type of person. I'm I'm not, I don't want to judge, you know, this isn't right or wrong. It's just all of our characteristics you know we've got stronger characteristics than others and um but what i noticed about education is there were there were flavors of perfectionism flavors of um not authority i don't want to say that but but you know teaching as a vocation going back in history was a, a you know middle class good standing um a, a, a knower of knowledge a, a transcender of knowledge yes it was a highly highly respected it is a highly respected yes. vocation so I I just kind of thought, okay, and the way the way that these things are taught, instead of being so experiential, maybe it needs to be taught in a different way. Does that make sense, Sam? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And yeah, without going into too much nitty gritty and and profiling teachers. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to do that. Because... Will identify, you know, there's, yeah. there's a a certain there are and there are there are you know there is data there's studies there are absolutely characteristics that go into different professions so there there is there 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 is lots of research papers that I've read um and it's it's a theme it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean everyone's the same we're all individual we all have different characteristics I certainly don't want to kind of pigeonhole anyone or use any judgments but but you know 
there is when you do personality and um, studies, you know, for police force, for fire service, for, you know, there's certain things in us that we're attracted to our vocation, basically. There's also you you did mention it. There's also a training element, isn't there? Because if you go into health and and nursing, the the training is very different. And these things are explicitly discussed, whereas in teaching it's very much more classroom management teaching pedagogy focused yes rather than interpersonal skills and so when you don't have that grounding in training then you sometimes don't think that maybe it's going to be something you need to work on when in your professional career you know if it's not embedded in training you don't immediately identify the need for it yeah so that also comes into it for sure yeah, so I, I, I mean, these were this, this was just hypothesis that I went out and I kind of done a bit of research and done a bit of digging. Of course, we can all find um, things to kind of um, secure our own hypothesis. We can, and I tried to be objective as much as I could, but I, I did find things to kind of really resonate and thought mm, maybe I'm onto something here because other people have thought it too. So. I thought, okay, we need, I need a different structure to training. I need the traditional kind of visual PowerPoint. We know that often we like models, we like acronyms, we like visual graphs. So maybe I need to look at information that can be um, transmitted through that format. That might be easier. I also wanted to make it somewhat experiential because we need to be able to feel it. You know, we there is lots of kind of quotes and adage of I can't remember what somebody said, but I can remember how they made me feel. That needs to kind of sit with us. We do need to feel it as uncomfortable as it is. Sometimes we need to feel it. So. Like Andy Bradley from from the south, I I used the kind of framework around Professor Paul Gilbert's flows of compassion, self to self, which is part one of the compassionate cultures training. Self to other, which is part two and other to self, which is part three. So I I kind of broke down what does what does self to self actually mean? What does self to other actually mean? And other to self, which you've you've kind of mentioned um, and, and said it resonates with you, Sam, because that's where the psychological safety in a culture in the other to self even though it's other to self, it's actually we're, we're all in a community, aren't we? We are all responsible for the culture that we sit in and we contribute to it. Whatever we say, whatever we do always has an impact. We will always make a ripple on the water. It, it doesn't, you know, whether it's a massive splash or a wave to a tiny ripple, whatever we contribute will have an impact. So we we all need to be and feel and reflect on on how, you know where we sit in that so I wonder 
you know, you said the psychological safety bit really stuck out for you. What was it, Sam? What was it when I talked about psychological safety made made it so um, powerful in the education setting? It was that clarity, really, being able to articulate that sense of psychological safety and the impact that it has. Um, yeah staff and for learners and just being able to actually identify you know some of the challenges going back from lockdown and uh, going back into school there was so much psychological lack of safety involved in that just from you know yeah. staff trying to adjust and go back to things and different experiences during lockdown having an impact and so on and equally you know in my role as a pastoral role really clearly articulating the potential experiences for young people and the need for them to feel psychologically safe so there's yes. two things you know, obviously my my sort of focus on trying to make sure that school was psychologically safe for pupils returning from lockdown and their varied experiences and that was obviously you know a key focus for the pastoral team in school yes. but also identifying that that is dependent upon the psychological safety of the adults and the staff because yeah. you know it's the staff and the adults who create the environment for learners and in order for for us to make learners feel safe we need to feel safe ourselves yeah. and so having articulated that and had that conversation about what that looks like and how we can culture cultivate that but equally what happens when it's not there and some of some of the negative symptoms where it's lacking yeah when we were back in you know and those like i said earlier those moments where you know you feel insecure or anxious or you know start to think oh okay just i was able to just check in with myself and say it's okay you know yeah or you're feeling like this because you know it's new and it's different so being able to say okay take a step back just think it's absolutely normal you know it's fine the young people especially for young people you know being able to say okay this is why they're behaving this way so you know, how how can you better meet their needs in order to try and and change their behaviors mm. it was just a really 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 good touchstone for me just to kind of take a step back sometimes and yeah. it was it's made that really clear in my mind and regularly in that first month in my head I was I was going through that process okay you're feeling this way or the young person's feeling this way take a step back have this conversation try yeah it's just almost an internal monologue all the time yeah and it really really just helped just give me that sort of through line of you know that's the path that I can follow does that make sense yeah absolutely I think that's um I, I yeah I think that's absolutely awesome reflection Sam um yeah so Amy Edmondson Going, going to psychological safety, Amy Ed, Edmondson is is kind of my guru in this. So she's written several books. I, during lockdown, went away and read The Fearless Organization. It stuck out for me. Some of the some of the things I'd kind of um, read and heard, she she's 
worked in this field for such a long time, decades and decades and decades. And she started off in health as a clinical psychologist. She's gone from outside of health into education. She's gone into now Fortune 100 companies. Yeah. So she says and, and talks about what is psychological safety? So it is the belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns or mistakes. So that is, in a nutshell, psychological safety. Mm. And that seems absolute common sense. And the amount of us would go, well, yeah, of course, especially in the, the school environment, we need other people's voices. But do at times, do we shame ourselves? Do we shame our colleagues? And do we shame the people around us if we think we've been explicit and, you know, there's a concern raised or, mis you know, mistakes keep being made um, or, you know, this is not a time for for ideas and they're being presented to us. Which, you know, is life, you know, at times it's, it's you know, there's certain circumstances that that things are really hard, but we need to be really aware of it. I notice going around, Sam, going around to different schools, I really picked up on where there was psychological danger and where there was psychological safety. Mm. So psychological danger would look like, um, you know, a, a kind of self-perpetuating cycle of a fear of admitting mistakes. So we blame others. When we do that, we're less likely to share different views. Then we get this common knowledge effect. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I know that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we do that. We do that. We know that. And then we get back to the fear of admitting mistakes. And it just perpetuates. And when we think about safety, we have uh, quite obviously the opposite. The self-perpetuating psychological safety model is around comfort in admitting mistakes, learning from failure. Everyone openly shares ideas. Then we get better innovation, better decision making and better access to vulnerability and everyone feels safer. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I think. Particularly this time, you know, in education, there's a real sort of um, action-driven yeah. focus. You know, there's that sense of we have to be doing and solving the problems immediately, and partly because you know lots of decisions have been made with very short notice. So that action-driven mentality plays into that, doesn't it? Because you don't necessarily have time or the perception is that they don't have time to be open and, and listen and so on because we've got to do something and I think that can play into it can't it with that you know not not listening or or responding negatively 
because it's such an action, right? We've got to get on with things. We've got to solve this problem quickly, immediately now, rather yeah. than taking the time to say, right, what what's the best solution to the problem? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense. It, it it's really difficult, you know. Um, I, I talk about shame a lot, and I love Brene Brown's work around shame. And I know I've talked on the previous co- podcast about it, but she does she does some awesome work. She's researched shame for ten years, and it just plays out in every flow of compassion. We shame ourselves, we shame others, and then when we live in a shaming culture, it it's just so negative and so impactful on us um when we think about shame in a in a culture there there is a real recipe there sam to to grow shame um and it it has three ingredients secrecy silence and judgment and that creates such a toxic environment that it's really if we go back to the self-perpetuating uh, self-perpetuating cycle of psychological danger you know that fear of making mistakes we blame others we're less likely to share and we've got that common knowledge effect that everybody knows then we we're we're in a toxic environment aren't we because we can't talk to anybody there's the secrecy we have to kind of stay silent, remain like you know, and then we judge others when they get it wrong. Toxic. And it very quickly gets to that point. I really like the model around um, w- what fear does in the workplace. When we all sit around that meeting table, absolutely nobody wants to look ignorant. So what do we do when we don't want to look ignorant? Ignorant? We don't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. No one wants to look incompetent. So what do we do when we don't want to look like that? We don't admit weakness or any mistake. We don't want to look intrusive and and kind of pull apart anything or or ask too many questions so we don't offer any ideas. And nobody wants to look negative. So we don't critique. We don't kind of challenge or or wonder anymore because it's not safe enough to do it. And if we stop all of that, we don't have access to vulnerability. We live in and wear our shield of shames as a defence and we never innovate or create by challenging what's going on around us and coming up with different ideas and pooling that that imagination and those skills between us. And so it makes, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's that yeah. the challenge is how do we cultivate the opposite? Now, how do we go about making sure that we're when a recognizing it and be actively working against it yeah yeah uh, absolutely amy edmondson gives a, a really good kind of um graph for this so on the on the left hand side you've got psychological safety you've got low and high and at the bottom you've got accountability and motivation low and high 
So if you've got low psychological safety and low accountability and motivation, you've got the apathy zone. Yeah, where nobody really cares. Um, nobody wants to do anything. There's there's no creativity or innovation. Um, nobody feels particularly safe. We just drag ourselves there and then go home. If you've got high psychological safety, but low accountability and motivation, you've got the comfort zone. Everybody loves coming to work, but there's no kind of real push. There's no inspiration. There's no um, excitement. It's just comfortable and nice. Yeah. Mm. And that suits some people. But if we want to continue to improve and feel that that kind of, um, you know, push for more success and, and um, you know, striving to achieve, then then you know we need more accountability and motivation but if we've got low psychological safety and this is what i see all the time sam Mm. low psychological safety high accountability and motivation we've got the anxiety zone yeah where it is not safe enough to go around say i've made any mistakes i can't admit weakness i have to be shown to be absolutely perfect to doing above and beyond, getting those results, knowing everything, um, you know, that that kind of, sure, sure, I know it, yeah, sure, we do that. You're in the anxiety zone and, and people are going, push, 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 we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to create this, but it's not safe enough to share anything, it's not safe enough to talk to anyone around us, it's not safe enough to say to management, that is un- undoable, I can't, I can't do it, you know, we, we need... Mm. Um, we're in the anxiety zone and we're going home and we're staying up at night um, and we're thinking about it over the weekends. We're opening our laptops, evenings, weekends, school holidays, and we are so afraid of looking like a failure and looking like we cannot do our job properly because everybody else can because nobody's talking to each other and saying god this is awful. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we're 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 holding it all ourselves um, and you know that's burnout zone yeah so high psychological safety high accountability and motivation is the learning zone that's the optimal zone that we want to be in where it's safe enough to go i really like that idea i want to push that forward but we we can't i you know i don't feel i can squeeze anything else in what can we prioritize and then we share ideas and it's okay to say that it's okay for colleagues to go, do you know what? God, I feel absolutely burnt out. You know, I, I don't think I, I'm going to have to drop something. And we go, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can really relate to that. What what do we need to do about that? This is where the and, innovation comes in as well, isn't it? Yes. So I, I like this model a lot. And I've come across this model before. Um, and it's one that's quite often linked to Google. Uh, and yes. one that Google use. Um, yeah around the innovation you know because of the extreme levels of innovation that google is obviously driven by as a business yeah. model you know so it's, it's very um often linked to google and i really like that because uh, you know I, I find it quite easy to pinpoint myself in zones you know i can look yeah. at that put myself in zones uh and it's you know doesn't vary very much it's usually the same zone but it's interesting to be able to put yourself in that zone and start thinking about you know what can I do to move myself around that zone you know as an organization but also as an individual 
what can I do to try to, you know, empower myself to move, you know? So that's, this is where, you know, this, this circles of compassion can come into it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, if we're talking about ourselves, we're moving back into the self to self. If we're having a word with ourselves and we're learning those skills and we're figuring out our access to vulnerability, our relationship to shame and failure, our relationship to perfectionism, our cognitive distortions that we, we I talk about in, in number one. And we really kind of self-explore and really reflect and really start challenging some of our own beliefs and our own um, habits in the way we see ourselves in the world. We're in um, part three, which is we're all part of this culture and we can all call it. And you're right. Google, Amy Edmondson has worked with Google. She's worked with Apple. She's, you know, there's these big leaders in this game. She is one of them because she's been at it so long and done so much research. And it it stems from her work, which is awesome. Um, But But there's the likes of Simon Sinak, who is, you know, one of the top motivational speakers that that is actually, you know, I've used one of his clips in this um, about psychological safety, about leadership, um, about, you know, not getting more out of staff, but actually how do we get staff to work at their best? So it's, yeah, it's breaking down. you know, and and when we think about creating psychological safety, how do we need to set the stage? How do we invite participation? And how do we think about responding productively? And we are all part of that and we can all model it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm interested in this sort of training that you facilitate. Does everybody do? all the participants by that I mean do level one um self to self to self to other three other to self or is there a sort of hierarchy in terms of where you are on the leadership scale that you do different sections how is it do you know what that that's actually a a really common question Sam (laughs) um because there is some thoughts, there is some thoughts about when, when we're challenging cultures, we often look to leadership. Until they change, nothing changes. Um, I, I, I've got no preference, actually. I think, you know, I, I hold the value that we all create impact in our culture. So I think it should be everyone that understands I think everyone should have an invite into looking at at you know this information and looking about looking into um, their participation in in the change of culture. So I don't necessarily think it should only be leadership because you know we have to. It, it's not a burden, but but that responsibility is shared. It, it can't just be a select few um, because I, I, you know, th- that's 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 a big thing that that's hard um, when it actually involves everybody. What do you think? It's interesting because I, I see I see virtues in different models, but actually I agree with you that I think 
it'd be interesting for everybody to do all of it because you know you come back to that discussion we had about psychological safety and when you can identify and sort of clarify and articulate what it looks like um uh, and interestingly and i don't know if this is a educator bias um you look at what the negatives are when you know what the negative behaviors are where you don't yeah. feel psychologically safe and so some of the negative behaviors come in when you know what they are you can recognize them i think there's a sense of accountability for yourself in that yeah actually you know i want to contribute to a, a better culture or you know maintaining a really strong culture and where I recognize that actually you know we come up to the end of half term and my self-care has been poor and I'm feeling really tired and fatigued and actually I just want to go and have a moan somewhere whatever that may not necessarily be the most helpful thing to do so having the understanding of all of it from an organizational level and self-to-self level you kind of see the big picture and yeah that can be really useful in just as you say you know our culture is you know the definition of culture is you know a shared experience and something we all contribute to so by the very virtue of that fact everybody plays into it and so whatever we do at whatever level we're still contributing to the culture even if we think nobody's looking or listening we're still contributing to the culture so having that overview can be really interesting and when we talk about you know that those models of psychological safety that you talked about being open and being able to safely challenge and share ideas and so on then it makes perfect sense that everybody would have that knowledge and understanding so you know everybody could say to leadership oh actually have you thought about this or have you thought about that or i had this idea or i'm feeling this way and you know could we have a conversation about that perhaps or whatever it all feeds into the same so to work towards you know what we've identified as as what psychological safety feels like and looks like yeah everybody having that understanding be able to say actually it'd be really useful for you to know this and you know we've all done this training so we can we've got the shared terminology and the shared yeah. language to be able to say actually can we have a conversation because i think it'd be really useful to address this yeah uh, or i've got a really good idea that i think i can contribute you know that i know I may not normally be in a meeting where I could share this idea, but actually, you know, I, I've got a friend or colleague who said it works really well for them, and actually, I think it could really work for us. I think that shared language and shared experience of all having done the training could be really powerful. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, that's how, that's how I feel very much. Sam is that it's all of our responsibility to notice shame, to notice fatigue to notice the culture around us and notice what we are doing to kind of soothe um, and, and, you know, bolster our, our own and others' well-being. Um, and that's why, you know, yeah, I think, I think it should be everybody. I love, I love Brene Brown's um, kind of acronym BIG. So she says brave leaders and and it doesn't have to be a hierarchical leader. It doesn't have to be a head or a member of senior leadership. You know, all of us can be leaders. All of those skills are in us. So brave leaders are never quiet around hard things. 
but we're all leaders and we all are responsible for being big. So that is boundaried with integrity and generosity. So we hold our own line. No, I cannot do that. The integrity part is is talking to our values. I can't do that because of this is this is my understanding of that. But I really appreciate you coming to tell me. I really appreciate you asking me to do that because that feels really important. And I'd really like to hear more about it. or I'd really like to work on it uh, at a different time. Or if I can offer, you know, sending you this, that might be useful for you. But that boundary, holding on to your values and doing it respectfully and generously and empathetically is absolutely essential and it's skills for all of us to hold on to. And that all comes into my other thought then was around, you know, doing all of it is, and you mentioned it, it doesn't have to be senior leaders for all teachers and you know, to varying degrees, you know, anybody in the classroom, teaching assistant, whatever, are the leaders of our learning environment. So, yeah. you know, the training about psychologically safe organisations can equally apply and allow us to reflect on how psychologically safe our teaching environments are and yeah. innovation and learning comes in that psychologically safe zone so Absolutely. it can equally apply to you know as a leader of my classroom a leader of my department leader of whatever you know this is the impact I can have and this is what I understand about that so yes. you know it equally applies to the the teaching pedagogy of anybody who works directly with pupils in the classroom because the same principles equally apply to young people as it does to staff within a learning organisation. So it, it really does. And actually, a lot of these concepts, just our life and all of our relationships, you know, we are relational, dialogical beings. We we talk and we we are born to connect. And this is what we talk about in the self to other. And in part two, we are born to connect with other people. We are born to feel safe and to feel loved and give love and protection. We we are innately built to be around others. And so these these skills these thoughts this this art of reflection um and you know kind of true um empath for for each other not only helps the classroom not only helps you know our our, our teaching or our, our vocation it helps our family it helps um, the people around us and our society as a whole. And we have, have we not seen huge political divides and social divides um, at this current time where we're also frightened? We've had, had so much division and divisive language around us. Um, it really is the time to kind of use this in a, in a much wider scale for all of us to pull pull next to each other. Yeah, absolutely. More compassion, definitely. So just briefly then, talk yes. us through the logistics of this training, Nicola. How how might somebody access it? How long does it take? What's the logistics of it? Okay. So it's it's a long one. That that's an interesting question. So you know, call, email me um anytime. I am the author of this. I have um 
I have used my lovely colleagues in the youth service and educational psychology psychology to evaluate it so I've had a day with with a team of us going through it um, making sure that you know it, it flows have they got contributions because you know there's been a lot of work uh, in and around on, on these things and you know I, I don't want to reinvent the wheel and I also want to know you know what contributions everybody has to have so um we went through that process, so I, I've tweaked it. It's around two hours long, an hour and a half to two hours long per part. So you've got part one, part two, part three, so that's six hours. And we are looking as in reach um, to, to think about whole day trainings on this, um, different events with possibly, you know, kind of, um, in uh, financial incentive <laughs> so so maybe some some classroom cover but I will release those dates um, via email where you can do part one part two part three in a day um, you know if, if you're able to step out with some support to access all of it otherwise it's you know broken down and it's um, available through um, twilights or 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 just ring me and I'll we'll go through it. I I really don't mind. I'll do it as flexibly as I possibly can. Brilliant. So who is that? Is it the Elencos that you link with mainly, or do you have different links, different schools that just? Yeah. Um, so if you um, I well, I know various people. I'm trying to make my my way round. So. If anybody wants to email me regarding this, they can get me at Nicola, so N-I-C-O-L-A dot Crawley, C-R-A-W-L-E-Y, at wales.nhs.uk. Email me, drop me a line and we can have a conversation. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Nicola, because I think that sounds really interesting insights there. Again, just into the impact they can have as an organisation but also, you know, in classroom pedagogy as well. Yeah. I think there's so universal benefits uh, all around, really, in, in an education establishment. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, very quickly, Sam, the Education Workforce Council does have a guide to good practice, positive working relationships. I do have a copy if anybody wanted it. But, you know, th th there is legislation out there that really does reinforce this um, in your settings. Great. I think I, I may have linked that to one of the, the previous podcasts because I, I came up before and it, it's, you know, th that guide is literally just goes through and supports all of these systems and all of these ideas yeah. it's it's so uh, clear and obvious and like I say the draft legislation for Welsh government really supports all these ways of working as well so you know it's definitely clear ways forward yeah so that's, I think that's definitely a really useful resource that you've identified there uh, so if anybody's listening there we are Nicholas shared the details with you as well so you can contact here and it sounds like really interesting beneficial training so thanks for sharing that and I'm again welcome, for everybody who, who's made it through uh, we're nearly at half term as we record this so uh, we've got this far i hope everybody's okay as we said earlier on it's the five ways of well-being 
the check-in and uh, try and maintain those things and half terms a nice time to try and reflect and maybe add a few of those self-care things in next week as we all take breath and try to do catch up breath and recharge that's what i'm looking for recharge ahead of what i'm sure will be a very busy half term up until christmas i'd just love to be able to catch up again nicola and Thank no doubt you, we'll, uh, we'll try and be able to put out a few more podcasts before christmas as well so uh, we are working on it aren't we we are well thanks to everybody who's listened and hopefully we'll have some more content for you soon uh in the meantime enjoy half term and look after yourselves Thank you, everyone.